In history, 2,000 years ago, Jesus of Nazareth lived a remarkable and unique life. It was the most important life ever lived. And then Jesus was crucified and killed by the crowds and by the Jews under the Roman governor Pontius Pilate. And we'll talk a little bit about Jesus' death this morning. And then Jesus literally came back to life a few days later. Jesus was truly dead and then he came back alive. Which, of course, is why we're here this Easter morning, and we'll spend a while on that together. But then after that, Jesus also in history spent around 40 days with his disciples after being raised. And then Jesus left this earth, and he ascended to his throne in heaven, where he is now until he comes back one day. And then finally, in history, on the day of Pentecost, Jesus sent his spirit, his very presence in the third person of the Trinity, to be with his people. And I bring all of that up this Easter morning first because that all happened in history. And we need to remember that because Christianity isn't just some religious ideal, but it's rooted in history. But then also I I bring all of that up because in short, as for this passage that we're looking at together this morning, Jesus is coming, living, dying, rising, ascending, and pouring out a spirit. That all just happening is essentially where we are here in the Bible in Acts chapter chapter 2. Because you might not be familiar very much with the Bible, and if so, that's okay. But in basic, the book of Acts is called this because this is the Acts of Jesus' disciples and first apostles in Acts chapter 2, right after Jesus left. And so this is Acts chapter 2, and so it's very early on. And that means that while this at first just may seem like a random passage for us to go over. And in some senses, there are a lot of passages that we could have gone over to talk about the resurrection. Yet, what does make this passage you just heard unique is that in this message, in Acts chapter 2, we have technically one of the first messages we hear of in history where Christians are talking about what just happened with Jesus. Meaning this is the first time after all of that with Jesus happened, where Jesus' disciples now, and this is Jesus' disciple Peter, where they recount and explain what in the world just happened and why it matters. And I think that's significant for all of us here this morning, because whatever you personally believe about Jesus right now in your heart, we can all agree that Christianity from this point on did spread all over the world. And many people accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, but then also many didn't and still don't. And sometimes Christianity spread with good intentions and from sincerity of heart, but then also at other times, let's be honest, the faith became nationalized and politicized. And finally, we can agree that many people did great loving things in the name of Jesus, but then also, again, especially when the faith became institutionalized, we have to say some terrible things have occurred in the name of Jesus as well. And so we can all agree, Christianity has spread. Jesus is the most influential person who's ever lived. And yet also, as the years have gone by, through the pridefulness and traditions of people and even nations, the message of Christianity sometimes has gotten out of whack. And it can therefore be confusing to know what Christianity based on Jesus actually is and and what Jesus even did. But that's why I think this passage is so helpful. 
Because in essence, in Acts chapter 2, Jesus literally within the last couple of months died and rose. And he just ascended to his throne and poured out his spirit. And so now here again is one of Jesus' main spokesmen, the apostle Peter, about to give a spirit-inspired account of everything that just happened. And therefore the question for us this morning is, okay, well then what's his message? We can remove so many cobwebs of 2,000 years of bad tradition and so many cobwebs of maybe some bad preconceived notions we have of Jesus and we can simply ask Peter this Easter morning, so what really happened with Jesus? What's this actually all about? And in these four mere verses this morning, that's what I hope happens for all of us. I hope this Easter morning we may each see afresh, or perhaps for you, maybe for the first time, who Jesus is, what he did, and why it really matters, all from the mouth of one of Jesus' first disciples. But anyway, so that's where we are in Acts. That then finally brings us to our outline for how we'll go through these verses this morning. And so as for an outline, we'll have three sections together this Easter morning. Three sections with the final section being more so about Easter. And so three sections. And as for what we'll see in them, very simply, first, we'll see Peter in God's word talk about Jesus' life. And so we'll spend some time talking about Jesus' life. And then second, we'll see Peter talk about Jesus' death. And so we'll spend some time speaking of Jesus' death, which then third and finally, and biggest of all for all of us this morning, will lead Peter and us to talk about Jesus' resurrection. And so it's that simple. First, Jesus' life. Second, Jesus' death. Third, Jesus' resurrection. All with the goal of hearing afresh who Jesus is, what he actually did, and why it certainly matters for each and every one of us. But all it said, church, let's then begin our first section where, again, we're looking at Jesus' life. Jesus' life. And for this, we're just going to be in verse 22. And now, to be clear, in this one verse, we will not get all the details about Jesus' life, of course. But it is interesting to see how Peter starts talking about Jesus here. And so first, let's just look at verse 22, and then we'll talk about it. So look down at your Bibles if you can. Acts 2, verse 22. Men of Israel... Hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. And we'll actually stop there for now. So notice what Peter is doing here is he's addressing his listeners, right? And clearly his main goal here as he starts is to just remind them about Jesus of Nazareth. And to bring up to them the reality that they knew of Jesus. And they knew he was special. That's his goal. And you can see that first in how Peter says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God. And that word attested might sound weird to our ears in English. But it can also be translated as demonstrated or proved to be. And so the idea is Peter's starting off his talk about Jesus here saying, Listen everyone. You know Jesus of Nazareth. You know he just lived his life here. He was something special. He was proven to be special and unique by God. And how though did God prove that? Well, Peter continues in the verse with how Jesus, quote, did mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him. 
In other words, Jesus of Nazareth in history was proven to be no mere man as God did through him many works and wonders and signs, meaning they were pointers to who he really is. And and as a quick side note on that, in case you are here this Easter morning and you've always struggled with miracles maybe ever happening, just so you know, the ultimate answer to that question is even here in verse 22. Because notice, Peter knows that miracles aren't normal. They don't just happen on their own. Because if they did, his reasoning with these people wouldn't work. And yet Peter also knows that if God is real, which he is, And if God is the one who created this world and rules over all nature, which he does, then of course, if God decided to enter into his world, he could do miracles. (laughs) Which does show us that at its root, just so you know, any issue with believing in miracles is more so just an issue in believing in the reality of God. But anyway, so that's most of this verse. But then finally here, Peter ends by repeating twice how he really wants them to remember that again, they know who this Jesus was. Because notice, he ends the verse by emphasizing how Jesus did this quote, in your midst as you yourselves know. And so put yourself in the scene. Peter begins with Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God. He did amazing things. And then the one sentence ends with, in your midst, as you yourselves know. And therefore, hearing all that, you can hear Peter's point. Because the truth is, there's a lot that Peter could say here about Jesus' life, which he does elsewhere. And there's a lot that we can say about Jesus' life from elsewhere in the Bible as well. My truths like Jesus was perfect. Jesus taught in an amazing authoritative way. Or truths like how Jesus loved people so perfectly. And more. We, We could say all that and Peter could have said that too. But instead he decides to start here about Jesus simply by emphasizing you recognize Jesus was special. His miracles at least proved that. He was in your midst. You yourselves know that. And now to us, applying that to you and me, we may hear all that and think, well, that doesn't apply to me because I wasn't around when Jesus was doing these miracles and it's been about 2,000 years since then. And that is true in a sense. And yet I still do think that when we think about what Christianity actually is and who Jesus really is, we can at least start here to a degree where Peter starts his message. Meaning, think about it, we can at least all say that in our history and in the world and the universe that we do live in, it is true that in history, Jesus was unique. We know that. And now we may agree with that and choose then to say that we still don't really believe in God or something, or we may agree that Jesus was unique and then still just shrug our shoulders and say it doesn't really matter, or we may agree with that and then decide to genuinely worship Jesus as Christians. But still, when all is said and done on this Easter morning, I do think we all need to agree with Peter's overall point as he starts here in verse 22. And that's again that when we consider Jesus of Nazareth, we know that the man was astonishingly special. Because when he lived, he, he lived a remarkable life. He was even reported to do many miracles. He taught and loved in such a distinctive way and more. And why? Well, because God was working through him. That's what Peter says, and that's what we as Christians believe about Jesus' life. And now, of course, much more could be said on that, but that's just our first section to start here on Jesus' life. But that now leads us to ask, but what then happened? 
All right, and that's what Peter addresses in the next verse, in verse 23. And before we do read this, let's just all realize there are a lot of worldviews and religions that have special people and unique lives that they center around. Right now, none of them are actually as special or unique or as impactful as Jesus' life. But still, special lives are often what the many religions and worldviews center around. From people who just live their lives thinking a lot about people like celebrities all the way to established religions like Islam. They all center around special lives. But what is not normal and what then is so unique about Jesus and the good news of Christianity is that surprisingly, And to all of them back then, this was surprising as well. Like Peter, surprisingly, Jesus' life though actually wasn't and isn't the focal point of what Jesus did. Rather, the Bible is clear. What was central about Jesus was actually his death. His death. And that's what we'll see now in our second section, how Peter continues in verse 23. And so now here, like last time, we'll first read the verse and then we'll talk about it. And so as you can see, at the end of verse 22, Peter almost cuts himself off mid-sentence, talking about Jesus' life. And then he continues verse 23 saying this. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So those first two words by Peter are quite significant. This Jesus. Because remember, Peter just started off by saying that Jesus was unique. That God even did miracles through him. And as we all know, Jesus has impacted our world with his love and teachings and example. And so Peter says, this Jesus that was so special and loving, well, what happened to him? Well, he was crucified and killed. And specifically on Jesus' death, just now notice with me two angles to look at Jesus' death from even just this one verse. Two angles that Peter here uses to talk about the death of Christ. Because this is so helpful. And this is how the Bible over and over talks about Jesus' death. And if you're here and you've always wondered, why do Christians make such a big deal out of Jesus' death? Or even if you are a Christian, you've always wondered why Jesus' death is so central. Well, again, even in this one verse, we can start to see why. And so two angles to view Jesus' death. Number one, first, just notice the ending of verse 23 here. The ending again. Because this is the most basic truth about Jesus' death. And that's how in Jesus' death, Peter says he was, quote, crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And specifically, note, Peter adds, you crucified and killed Jesus by the hands of lawless men. And that combo of you crucified him and yet he was killed by the hands of others, by lawless men, that combo is often the case in the Bible when it talks about Jesus' death. Because this angle shows us that on the one hand, Jesus was truly killed in history by other people, right? Besides you and I, of course. He was killed in history by the hands of lawless men. And yet also... It is fascinating. Let's think about it. Peter here stands up and he says to a whole crowd of people, many of whom obviously didn't actually hammer the nails into Jesus' hands, and he says, you crucified him. Meaning, you're lawless as well, like the ones who actually pierced his hands. And to be clear, that's always been a part of the Christian message. I hope you know that. And that's part of the good news of Jesus. Jesus was killed in history by real people and it was awful and unjust. 
And yet, it is something that we, with our lawlessness, also partook in. We crucified him. And we need to feel that. And so that's the first angle, though, to look at Jesus' death here. It's how it happened in history and how we all partook of it in some sense. But what's then the second angle? Well, for this, now look again at the first half of verse 23 here. The first half. Because the first angle is more the human angle. Now here, Peter talks about Jesus' death from God's angle. And it's fascinating. Because the, the, the second half about Jesus being killed by people, right? That makes sense to us. That makes sense. And we could therefore assume that Christianity is only Jesus was a loving person, but then people didn't like him and they killed him. And that's it. And sadly, some people do try to teach that that's all basically Christianity is. They say that Jesus was killed as an example of love, and therefore for us as Christians, we should just simply try to be good people and moral and loving all like Jesus. But hear me out, that is not the center of biblical Christianity. And in fact, notice, Peter, in his first message about Jesus, right after everything happened, he doesn't allow Christianity to be something where Jesus just happened to be killed. Rather, now notice the beginning of verse 23 again. Look at your Bibles again, the first half. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. And so Jesus was killed and crucified by people and even in a way by us. But who ultimately delivered Jesus up? Well, he was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. And and if you hear anything about Jesus' death this morning, I hope it is this. Because as for Jesus being delivered up according to God's foreknowledge, we probably get that because God knows everything in advance. But what's even deeper here? is how Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan of God. And Peter says that very clearly. He sees that this Jesus, his master and rabbi, who was just crucified, he sees that he was killed not ultimately by the Romans or by the Jews, but according to God's definite plan, which is strong, emphatic language. And so now the question then becomes, but why? Would God definitely plan for Jesus to be crucified like that? And to answer that question, we'd have to read on in Peter's message. But in short, the Bible is clear over and over that Jesus died for sins. For his people, dying in their place so that he could bear their penalty and they could go free. And in short, that has always been the Christian message. And it's true. (laughs) And it's not only true, but this is the solution that you and I need and the solution that the world needs above all. A way back to God through the removal of the thing that keeps us and God apart, which is unforgiven sin. And in short, that is in history what Jesus did. And specifically, Peter says here, that's what God definitely planned to happen. That's why Jesus was ever crucified. Which means for us on this Easter morning, that quickly shows us two things. Two things. First, it shows all of us that Jesus' death really then is the central point in all of history. And it is the central point in all of our histories and our stories as well. Because think about it. If Jesus' death is the one place where people who clearly aren't right, people like you and I, can be forgiven and restored back to a right relationship with God, I mean, really God, the God who made all this, who rules over history, who rules over your and my lives. If that's true, then Jesus' death, by definition, is the central point of all history. It has to be, and it is. 
And so Jesus' death shows us that. But then also, second, Jesus' death shows us, if you really want to boil it down, it shows us that the living God is a God who would do this. (laughs) He's clearly a God of love. A God of love, a God who initiates this sort of relationship with us. And this Easter morning, I do hope we all know that, right, Christian or not. But especially for us as Christians here, I do hope we just are amazed by that and love that about our God. Because remember, Peter decided to call the death of Jesus the definite plan of God. And so what was God's definite plan? Well, in basic, it was and it is God having so much love that he'd do what needed to be done to get his children back. And that means, think about it, it means that God's definite plan and solution for the entire world isn't that people have to earn their way back to him. Nor is God's definite plan that his creatures should just try to be good enough. Nor is God's definite plan that we should try to just make up for our wrongs because we know we're not perfect. That's all typical religion in the world. And that's what we just naturally might think it would be, but that has never been God's plan. Nor, importantly, is God's definite plan that people are on his side without needing Jesus. And maybe some of us here need to know that too. We are not okay with the living God apart from Jesus. Rather than all of that, God's definite set in stone loving plan always that has been that he'd come and do what needed to be done, which meant being crucified and killed by lawless men in order to get his people back into a right relationship with him now and forever. That's the God who exists and that we're here talking about in church this morning. And so that is our second section about Jesus' death. But that then finally and climactically brings us to our third and last section from Peter here about Jesus' resurrection. Jesus' resurrection. And for this, we're going to look at verses 24 and verse 25 in a little bit. And now though, before we read those, now on Jesus in general, especially seeing what we've seen, you've probably heard that the gospel of Jesus in a nutshell is Jesus died for our sins so that we can be forgiven. Right? In many ways, that's good. That is the center of the good news. And yet also, it is crucial to know that this Jesus, in history and right now, he didn't remain dead. Right? He didn't. And concerning why he didn't remain dead, well, in a few minutes, we're going to go through three reasons why. But even more generally, if you think about it, the main reason why Jesus' resurrection really matters And why Easter, therefore, is such an important day for us to remember Jesus' resurrection, the reason it matters is because Jesus' resurrection means that the Peter, the, the Jesus Peter here is talking about in Acts 2, right? And the Jesus we're celebrating and worshiping this Easter morning, it all means that he is not just some idea, right? Nor is Christianity or believing in God just things like truths that we can write down on a piece of paper. Nor is Jesus primarily about subjective feelings that you and I might have in our hearts. Now, all of those might be good in a sense, but please, I hope we know that is not mainly it. Rather, Jesus is a real person, And more crucial than any of that is to know that yes, he lived. Yes, he died that death. But then also, he's alive. (laughs) Like like you and I are alive right now, but even more so. Jesus is alive. 
And to prove that, I mean, again, just go back in the scene. Put yourself in Peter's shoes here. Peter walked with Jesus, the person Jesus, not just ideas, not just feelings, the person Jesus. And then Peter was taught by that Jesus for three years. And then Peter awfully denied Jesus. Peter saw Jesus die. And then amazingly, Peter saw Jesus alive. (laughs) And all that being true, Peter, therefore, is not here saying all this so that people can just believe facts. (laughs) Or so that people can just say they believe in God. Nor is Peter saying all this so that people can merely feel loved or so that they can go and be more religious and moral people. You see that? That's not Peter's goal. It can't be. Nor is that the Bible's goal. I hope we know that. Rather, what is the central reality of why Peter's even here and what he's proclaiming here? Well, it's that this Jesus who just lived for 33 years and died in his crucifixion, well, he just rose from the dead. (laughs) And he's really alive. He's truly alive. But all that said, now let's let's lead us to what Peter actually says. And for this, again, verses 24 and 25, but we'll start in just verse 24. And we'll actually read the previous verse just to be uh, seeing context. So verses 23 and 24. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So on that, as you heard, Peter is clear that Peter, or that Jesus not only rose, but he actually goes so far as to say, quote, it was not possible For Jesus to be held by death. Meaning according to Peter in God's word here. Jesus not only came back from the dead. But Jesus could not have remained dead. And that's interesting isn't it? Because we may wonder but why? Right? Because theoretically we could imagine that Jesus could have come. Lived a perfect life. Died for sins and that's it. And I do think that for many professing Christians, sometimes we think that'd be okay. And yet Peter, at the very beginning of his public proclaiming about Jesus, says no. It was not possible for Jesus in history to remain dead. And so why? Well, especially since it's Easter Sunday, now consider with me just three reasons, three reasons, even even from these verses here, just three reasons why Jesus of Nazareth couldn't have remained dead. Three reasons, and I hope these will help us really start to see why the resurrection happened and why it matters for you and me. So three reasons. First, and most basic, Jesus could not have remained dead because Peter starts verse 24, quote, with God raised him up. And really, if you think about it, that's most foundational because if God is real, which he is, and if it was his definite plan to have Jesus died, dead, and raised, then, well, death couldn't stop God, (laughs) And so really, that's the first reason Jesus couldn't have remained dead, because God was involved. But then also, now notice, second, what Peter says next. So God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And there we see a second reason why Jesus couldn't have remained dead. And it's a little harder to grasp, but stick with me, because this one now really centers around what happened in the gospel. Because notice, the main verb there is that verb loosing, right? Loosing. And and what's loosing? Well, it's the opposite of being bound, right? 
And and so what does that mean? Well, remember, the center of the good news is that in Jesus' death, he literally took upon himself sin. He took upon himself the punishment his people deserve. That's the gospel. Or to say it another way, Jesus willingly bound himself with the pangs of death that his people deserve. He, he took upon himself the pangs of death for his people. Right? I hope that makes sense. He took the punishment that you and I deserve. So he bound himself with the pangs of death. But then the question becomes, okay, so if Jesus really did that, And if he did that in order to pay the penalty fully, then once Jesus paid that penalty and the payment was finished, well then what had to happen? Because really, Jesus died for the sins of others, right? He paid to have those, he died so those sins could be paid in full. And so once that happened and the sins were gone, if you will, they were paid, then what had to happen? Well, think about it. That binding would be gone. The pangs of death would be loosed. And without sin bringing him down, well, then Jesus had to rise from the dead. (laughs) Because he wasn't dead for his own sins. He had no reason to be dead. And once he paid for his people's sins, once it truly was finished, Jesus couldn't remain dead. It wasn't possible. And, And Peter knows that. And and that means for us, to put it really simply, it means that in Jesus' resurrection, three days after his death, it is proof to all of us that Jesus' cross really did what he said to do. Or to make it even more personal, it means that if we trust in Jesus, we should look at Jesus' resurrection and say, that happening in history means that my sins were fully and forever paid for. Because if they weren't, Jesus would still be dead. And so that's the second reason Jesus couldn't remain dead, which finally leads us to the third and last reason why it wasn't possible for Jesus to remain dead. And here, I know this has been a lot, but Peter surprisingly here takes it a step further. And for this, now we'll read verse 24 again and verse 25. Because we do this, because notice, verse 25, look at your Bibles, actually starts with the word for or because. And so this is great because Peter's saying in verse 24, it was not possible for Jesus to be held by death. And then he starts verse 25 with four, meaning he's saying Jesus couldn't be held by death because, and so what's his reason? We'll look down now, verses 24 and 25. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it for, or because, David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. So now, at first, that might sound a little confusing, but in short, notice, Peter says that Jesus couldn't be held by death because David says concerning him, meaning David says concerning Jesus, and what does Peter quote? Well, a verse from the Psalm of David, but not just any verse. Because what we need to know about verse 25 here is that this is a verse from Psalm 16. And in Psalm 16, David there is talking about the Lord God. It's actually Yahweh in the original Hebrew. The Lord God creator of the universe. Which is amazing because this means that Peter thinks of why Jesus couldn't remain dead. And he says, because David says concerning Jesus, I saw the Lord before me. 
Meaning Jesus, according to Peter here, is the Lord God. (laughs) You see that? And now Peter also quotes this psalm for other reasons too. But for us this Easter morning, as we're really trying to get to the early Christian message, I do hope we see that. Because this means that in Peter's mind, he knows Jesus really in history recently just had, he died and then he had to rise. And why? Well, first, because God raised him up. And then second, because once he was finished taking his people's sins and death was loosed, then Jesus had to rise. But that's not all. Because why else could this Jesus of Nazareth not be held by death? Because Jesus of Nazareth was and is the Lord. (laughs) He really is God. And I know for us, when we think of Jesus of Nazareth and him in history, this sort of talk where God works through Jesus and God raises Jesus while Jesus also is God himself, we may hear all that and think it's very difficult or confusing. And in many ways, it is. And that's why Christians ever since have always believed in the Trinity. One God, three persons, because that's just how our God has revealed himself. Because again, that is what we see here. Jesus was empowered by God, killed according to God's definite plan, raised by God, and Jesus also is the Lord God himself. And being the Lord God himself, again, the good news for all of us is he couldn't and he didn't remain dead. And that is why we're here this morning, because 2,000 years ago, in history, I hope you know it's true, this God-man died for sins, he rose victoriously, and he's still alive. And he's still our God who loves us and did what needed to be done to get lost people back to him. So that's our pastor's church. That's Jesus of Nazareth's life, death, and resurrection and history. Which means for all of us on this Easter Sunday that really our main takeaway from all of this needs to be to hear this and now see how we each personally respond to this Jesus. Make it personal. How do you personally respond to this Jesus and what he did and especially to this fact that he's alive? This applies to us who are here and already Christians and it applies to some of you maybe who are here and actually aren't Christians. Because first, as to those of us who are Christians, just hearing Peter in Acts chapter 2 this morning, I hope it has perhaps maybe just brought us back to the roots. Right? Brought us back to the center of this whole thing of Christianity, reminding us what this is truly all about. Because we can get so caught up in so many things in our faith and in our world, but really the rock-solid center of everything is this life, death, and resurrection in history of Jesus of Nazareth. And so daily and practically, what we should all do is just make it our goal to think about Jesus more. And we should thank God for what he did for us in history. And specifically, I hope we're just amazed at and we're thankful to Jesus for all this. Because remember, he's our God and he's alive. And so for us as Christians, let's do that more. But then finally, if there is anyone here who doesn't believe any of this or trust in Jesus... Or honestly, for anyone here who, honestly, if they just examined their lives, they'd admit that this Christianity thing is more not that important to them, or it's just a tradition, or it's something they only claim in name. If, if you're here this morning and that's you, we're glad you're here, but I do just encourage you, like Peter was encouraging these people here in Acts 2, to just really reconsider the special life, death, and resurrection of Jesus in history. Because this Jesus, he did all this in our midst, in our universe, and in our history, and it has changed the world, and it's true, and he is worthy of trusting and following personally in your life. And now it is true that if that's you this morning and you do decide 
to genuinely follow and trust in Jesus, it does mean, it does include that we do stop thinking that we're the center. Right? Or thinking that we rule our own lives. Or thinking that we're the most important part of our lives. And so let me just say, yes, there is change when you genuinely come to Jesus. There's repentance involved in turning to Jesus. Because doing so means that we realize we're broken. That we're not the center of our lives. And that we need Jesus. But finally, this Easter morning, let me just say, while all that's true, yet trusting in Jesus and knowing all this to be true has always been called the good news for a reason. (laughs) Because when you come to Jesus, what do we find? Well, we find that this Jesus really died and rose out of his care for us. Where we find that the living God is someone who did what needed to be done to bring us back to him. We find who a, God, a God who is truly for us. We find purpose for our lives. And we find that now anyone from anywhere with any past, any struggles or doubts can come and trust this Jesus and be rescued and secured in him and his love now and really forever. And so finally, for all of us, the final question this Easter is, have I personally then embraced this relationship with Jesus? Really ask yourself that. Do I genuinely trust him? That's it. I I pray you personally do. And even again, if you've never trusted in Jesus in your life, maybe you do so for the first time this morning. Because one last time, remember, Jesus is alive. He is the one Christianity and really this whole universe is about. And trusting him with our lives is certainly worth it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray, church. Let's pray.